0: when you have done everything that you should, you are still an unworthy servant because the relationship with Christ is not based upon what you do. It is based upon faith in what Christ has done.
1: So glad you joined us for today's Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chapel. In today's episode, Pastor Brian shares a lesson from Mark 10. As we look at this passage, we see an age old question What must I do to inherit eternal life? Dr. Chappell highlights Jesus' unexpected response. You can find this lesson and many others when you visit unlimitedgrace.com. And while you're there, look for this wonderful resource from Dr. Chappell Holiness by Grace. In this book, Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Let's hear now from Dr. Brian Chappell as he shares the lesson, Better Than
2: Resolution.
0: Well, I I think you should try a little harder. The words of a supervisor to a new hospital chaplain named Rich Hanson, who wrote about it later, and it was the third week in a row the supervisor had given that assessment. I think you need to try a little harder. The uh, intern had gone to the hospital to take up the chaplaincy, thinking, in the throes of life's difficulty in hospital rooms, that the extremity of emotion and pain would fast start his understanding of what it meant to be a pastor. And so he was going to get a leg up on his colleagues by learning as a hospital intern what it meant. Instead, he said, I learned how out of my depth I truly was. I did not know what to say to people. I did not know what I would be facing at all. And the weekly feedback made it very clear. I was out of my depth. Rich, I think you should try harder. The intern wrote the first time he said it, I, I thought he, he must be kidding. I was shocked. No one had ever accused me of not trying hard enough at anything. I am conscientious by nature. I, I was trying hard. So I tried harder. And at the next meeting he said, Rich, you need to try harder. He wrote, my anxiety spiked. I had trusted this supervisor. He was the one person in the hospital I thought was actually sympathetic to my cause. But now even I was threatened by him because he was assuming that I had failed as well. The third week, supervisor said it again. Try harder, Rich. The intern said... I told him, I am trying harder. Just forget it. I give up. Said the supervisor with a twinkle in his eye. That's what I've been waiting to hear. In the passage of scripture that we have just read, there is no verse that says there's a twinkle in Jesus' eye. But if you don't see it, you won't understand the passage. Because what appears to be going on is just a you try harder. A man comes up and says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus simply says, well, you know the rules. Just follow along. If that's all that Jesus would say, we'd be in deep trouble. But it's not the end of Jesus' instruction nor the end of the lesson to us. If you just think what's in front of you in this passage, the, the things that are on the surface are fairly clear. First, there's just a, a great opportunity for an evangelism message. A man runs up to Jesus. I mean, Jesus isn't knocking on doors. He isn't ringing doorbells. He's not handing out pamphlets on the street. A man just, just comes up to him. I mean, talk about an open door. And the man only runs up to Jesus. He kneels down. He's humble. He addresses Jesus by rabbi, a respectful term. He's humble. He's respectful. He's open to hearing an answer. And then he asks a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in Jesus' response, everything seems to go amiss. I mean, after all, when you, if you look at verse 19, when Jesus responds, he says, you know the commandments. And he just begins to pile on a bunch of to-dos. Now, be honest. If you just read that the first time, you think Jesus should have stayed in Sunday school a little bit longer. I mean, it just seems like, now, now wait a second. It, it's by grace you're saved. It's... It's faith in what Christ has done, not faith. I mean, that's what we're taught over and over again in the scriptures. And here is Jesus himself when he's asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Who responds by saying, you know the commandments. Something's going on here. And we may discern what is going on here by thinking about how the account proceeds. What is really wrong? Well, the question itself is wrong. (laughs) What must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, it doesn't make sense. You don't do anything to inherit something. You inherit as a consequence of your birth and what somebody else has done. Which, by the way, is going to be a wonderful spiritual lesson. That we inherit the kingdom of God on the basis of a new birth and what somebody else has done. That is faith in what Christ has done for us. The young man doesn't get it, though. You and I know he doesn't get it. He only asks the question, what must I do? And so Jesus answers him straight away. Now, is that really the question? Is the question, what do you do to inherit eternal life? Is that the question? What do you do to inherit eternal life? Well, if that's the question, what do you do, then the answer is absolutely everything. Here's the law. You know it. Do it. It's actually interesting that he operate. He offers nothing new. It's it's the situation we're often in and in life itself. As we go through church, as we go through various situations, rarely do we tell people to do things as Christians they don't already know to do. Don't lie. Oh, that's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't really say don't lie. It Doesn't say that. But well, you know it says that. Don't commit adultery. Oh, the Bible doesn't say. But well, you know it says that. Rarely is there anything new. The trouble we have is not to know what to do. It's to have the motivation to do it. The question, after all, when the young man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life, not only doesn't make sense in terms of inheritance, it makes perfect sense, however, in terms of our reflex reactions as humans. It's what I'm always asking. What, what do I do to get right with God? What, how do I fix this? How do I straighten things out? In fact, so much of our reflex is, what do I do to make things right with God, that often those who are in the church for a lifetime do not hear Jesus' actual answer to the question. What they think they hear us saying is, just straighten up, behave, be better, and God will love you for that. About a decade ago, two authors, Melinda Norquist and Christian Smith, wrote a book called Soul Searching in which they were asking the question, why do so many teenagers leave the evangelical church as soon as they are able? The answer is not something that we like, but they said, it actually seems that so often what people learn in the church is actually giving them a wrong idea. And we think, how does that occur? They wrote, the faith that often comes in this churchiosity culture that we are in, Is not based on any particular religion. It's actually a mashup of different aspects of our culture. Everything from pop culture, everything from Star Wars, Miley Cyrus, and Oprah telling you the force is in you to get you what you want, combined with traditional religiosity telling you you be God, you be good, so God will be nice. And you add to that just some plain old American. Self-determination. You can be whatever you want as long as you try hard enough. And all that kind of mashes up into what they called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic. The goal of church is for you to behave. Therapeutic. And feel good about yourself. And deism. And God will help you if you're nice enough. Now, I don't want to overstate it, but I do want you to recognize that as cerebral as that may sound, it may be very personal to a lot of people here. Wait a second. What, what's wrong with that? If I'm nice, God's supposed to be nice. If I'm good enough, then God's supposed to be good to me. We barter lots of life, and that's, that's just, isn't that the arrangement? Isn't that why you go to church? You sacrifice enough, and then he'll be nice to you. You actually see the faith that's being articulated in a lot of the Christmas songs that we sing in our culture. If this weren't about Santa, it would be about God for a lot of people in our church culture. Leon Womack sings, Everybody's waiting for the man with the bag. He'll be here with the answer to your prayers that you've made all through the year. You'll get yours. If you've done everything you should, good. You'll get yours. If you've done everything that you should, good. Isn't that the contract? You do what you should, and then God will give you what you need as you determine your needs. God will give you what you want because you've become good enough. Such religiosity is basically about serving the vending machine in the sky. You, You put in enough nice nickels, not the naughty ones, but the nice nickels. And then you get what you want. Why does this all backfire? Not just on the teens, by the way, but for anybody who kind of gets old enough not to feel the compulsion of going to church just because it's what their parents or their culture or peers expect of them. Why does all that vending machine God stuff try harder and then you'll get what God's supposed to give you? Why does that not work? Well, first it does not work because all of us, teens or adults, resent emotional blackmail. As long as you're good enough, I'll love you, care for you, like you, bless you. We all resent the notion that love is going to be based on satisfactory behavior. Oh, yeah, we can be in a church that talks a lot about the golden rule. But if all we talk about the golden rule is you need to do more of that, then we have to say, all right, how much gold do I have to manufacture before God's going to be happy? And ultimately we begin to resent the God who does not love us until we have satisfied him. It's not just that we result relational blackmail. We all discover that life is harder than our try-harders. You can try really, really hard. And it does not guarantee the life of ease that so often we want to promise in the church. The good really do die young. Rain falls on the good and the evil. Holy people get hurt, just like the Bible says. I struggle with that. I struggle even to say it because I did this in my notes. I, I thought about the teens to whom I have ministered in life that I have seen at one point on fire for the Lord. And then as they got further into their adulthood, walking away from the Lord. And I just listed their names in my notes here to think I, I wanted to see their faces at least in my mind's eye and to, to grieve and say, and say Vicki, Val, Jan Marie, Diane, John, Todd, Tom, what did I say to you? That you thought that what religion was was you just plugging enough nickels into God that He would provide for you whatever you wanted. That that this Christian walk was not about giving yourself to God, but about God just giving you what you wanted. Not not trusting His guidance, not trusting His word, but just doing what you wanted. And He's supposed to somehow sanctify it and bless it and give you what you wanted. And I and I was it what I said? Was it how I presented the gospel? Was I the one who was just saying you just be? Nice and not naughty. And Jesus, like Santa, will give you everything you want under your Christmas tree or your career path. Because if that's what I even implied, I repent of it. And tell you I am sorry. And tell you it's not even what Jesus taught. I mean, if we consider what Jesus taught, he did not say, you'll get yours if you do what you should good. He said, when you have done everything that you should, you are still an unworthy servant because the relationship with Christ is not based upon what you do. It is based upon faith in what Christ has done. And so when I recognize that, I'm not saying i got to plug in enough nickels of good behavior that, that God's going to be nice to me. I say, God sent his son to the cross to pay everything that was needed. And my life is now lived in response to that goodness and in faith that the path that he will put before me in a fallen world, though it may be difficult, though it may be hard, is the path that a father who loves me in heaven is designed for me to walk with my Savior. And when I walk that path, he will go with me. We eventually discover that that is the faith that Jesus promised, not that that we could just ask him to give us whatever we wanted He is not promising good stuff based on our good behavior. He is promising himself based upon his grace for whatever we have to face in a fallen world.
2: You're listening to Unlimited Grace, the audio broadcast ministry of pastor and author Brian Chappell. God instructs us in His Word to be holy as He is holy. How can God expect us to be as holy as He is? Such a standard seems either to ignore our frailty or to impose certain failure. That is, until we understand how God views us. In this challenging yet heartwarming book, Holiness by Grace, Dr. Brian Chappell illustrates the principles of grace, the practices of faith, and the motives of love in living a life of holiness. Pastor Brian will guide you through reassuring scripture passages to discover how works and obedience are not a means of establishing or maintaining salvation, but a grateful response to God's mercy. Holiness by Grace draws straight from the heart of God, as Pastor Brian's encouraging words will help you understand that your holiness is not so much a matter of what you achieve as it is the grace that God provides, a grace so rich as to make the pursuit of His holiness your soul's deepest delight. You can request your copy of Holiness by Grace when you go online to unlimitedgrace.com or by calling 844 grace that's 844 414 7223 and now more from Brian Chapel on today's unlimited grace he is not promising
0: good stuff based on our good behavior he is promising himself based upon his grace for whatever we have to face in a fallen world. The same hospital intern that became a pastor before learning a lot of the gospel himself later wrote these words. What a difference it makes to believe in a God whose love is not conditional upon our behavior. For years, he said, I wooed people with practical answers to felt needs before I realized I was not helping them with their basic need which was to know the Lord the pressure the pastor felt to have all the practical answers actually stifles wholesome faith I was peddling a problem-solving God, a God without earthly reality or eternity in view, a golden calf who is there to give you what you think you need if you'll just do enough to please. It's easy to sell that God. That God just doesn't work in the real world. And it's that religion of try harder that Jesus is actually undermining in this passage. Not on the surface of things, but if you go down deep, what's he actually saying to this young man? He, he begins, if you will, to, to, to crush him, to squeeze out of him this self-reliance, this try-harderness, in order to make him understand truly what faith would be, should he grasp it. And the way that he does that in this great opportunity for evangelism is first by giving this notion of a great obligation that virtually nobody can fulfill. If you think of how great is the obligation, you'll look at verse 19. Jesus just says, you know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal. And he lists what's usually called the second table of the law. All those aspects of the Ten Commandments that deal with humans' responsibilities to humans horizontally. And Jesus just lists them. But you won't understand his motive if you begin to say the answer to the question before you hear Jesus answer to the greeting. The first thing the young man says when he comes to Jesus is, good teacher. question comes next. What must I do to inherit eternal life? How does Jesus respond to the greeting? good teacher? What does Jesus say? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Would you say that with me? Only God is good. Only God is good. Now that, that statement should just kind of ring in the air as this conversation continues. Only God is good. You know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, honor your father and mother. What does the young man say at the end of the list of commandments? All these, what? I have kept since I was a boy. Now, do you still hear it? Only God is good. What does the young man say about himself three seconds later? Me too! I'm good too. In which case he gives himself the status and the stature of God. You know what just got thrown out the window? The first table of the law. All those commandments that deal with putting God before all other. You shall have no other gods. You shall honor no other gods. You shall make God first. He is the only true God. All those commandments. They just get thrown out the window because the young man has given himself godly status. I'm as good as God. And so now you have to say, how is Jesus going to deal with this God man standing in front of him? He has to crush him again. I mean, you know what should have happened when all the commandments are listed do not commit adultery, which, if you go back to the Sermon on the Mount, means don't even have immoral thoughts. Do not kill, which means also do not. Hurt other people with bad names that you call them. Or take away their reputation by gossip or unkind things said about them. I mean, these, these commandments should just crush this man, but he's not crushed. Instead, he's given himself the status of God, so Jesus now not tries to crush the idolatry out of him. He says words that candidly distress us as much as they distress the disciples. Verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. By the way, this one thing is no little thing. This one little thing. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now the instruction is clear. What's not as clear is the intention. What we do often in our culture is we hear these words about sell everything you have and give to the poor. We say, is that a universal rule? Is, 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 Is that something that we're being called to do right now? Actually, I think you should. No, I don't. And you know, I think not. Listen, this would not have made sense if the idolatry were not already on the stage. Okay, already the man has said, I'm as good as God. And that means God's priorities are secondary to mine. As a consequence, Jesus says, you need to understand God will take second place to nothing. And so he takes what the man values the most, apparently his money, because he appears to be rich, and he says, you need to give that away for God's purposes.
1: That's Pastor Brian Chapel, and you've been listening to Unlimited Grace. If you would like to hear more from Dr. Chapel, you can find a collection of valuable resources at unlimitedgrace.com. When you visit, you will find today's message and many others from Pastor Brian. Also, be sure to request a copy of Dr. Chapel's book, Holiness by Grace. We'll send you this book right away as our way of saying thank you for your most generous financial support. Please be sure to join us next time, as once again we endeavor to put Christ at the center of our efforts so that lives might be transformed by His unlimited grace. This ministry is brought to you by Unlimited Grace Media and continues to be made possible with your generous financial support.